This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Everybody, thanks so much for uh, being here. Please open in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're back in 1 Peter. Uh, we've had a couple weeks off with two guest speakers who I think served us very well. But now we're we're back in 1 Peter, chapter 1. I want to add my voice to Mike's just to thank all the folks serving in children's ministry. Constantly meet pastors and other individuals that are amazed how many people serve in our children's ministry. And I, I love our kids. They're, they're a blast and they're a gift from God. Uh, but we are so grateful for your willingness to serve. So thanks for, thanks for doing that. I'm so excited we get to open the, 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 the little kids' children's ministry up. So 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse 13 and read down through verse 21. Peter begins, Therefore. So we need to remember why that is there. In the, in the first verses of this chapter, we've been talking about God causing us to be born again and this great salvation. And now Peter says, therefore, because of that, this is God's word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith 
and hope are in God. Amen. The Lord this morning, I believe through this text, wants to encourage us in holy living. Holy living. Because He has caused us to be born again. Because He has made us new. He wants to encourage us this morning to live a holy life. You may remember in the Old Testament, Uzziah. He was a king in Judah at 16 years old. He got his driver's license and then he ruled the nation. The Bible says that as a teenager, he was actually a good king. He was inexperienced, but he feared God. And the the key to his success was clearly that he had the right prophet, Zechariah. Not to be confused with Zachariah. Zechariah. All teenagers need a prophet, don't they? And good kings need a good mentor, and Zechariah was that man for Uzziah. Second Chronicles 26 says, Uzziah set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah who entrusted him, instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Notice there was a condition for his success. God will make him prosper as long as he seeks the Lord. This was true for every king, every judge in Israel had the same condition. As long as you seek the Lord, the Lord's going to make you prosper. And this is where Uzziah failed. Again, 2 Chronicles 26, when he was strong, the Lord had prospered him, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Proverbs says pride goes before destruction and Uzziah is an illustration. In his pride, he was unfaithful to the Lord. He offended God's holiness. He approached the presence of the living God in God's own dwelling place, in His most holy place, without following God's instructions and how that was to be done. Even the king was not exempt from that. Uzziah's success, his power, his strength as king tempted him to be arrogant, to be self-sufficient, And he began to think too highly of himself. He assumed he no longer needed to obey God's word. He was the king. No one was greater than him, but he forgot who gave him his kingdom. He was a king, but he remained a sinful man. He needed a priest. He needed a mediator to go into God's presence, into the presence of the Holy One of Israel. God had, in His Word, made it clear there was a way to approach Him. And Uzziah failed to do it. 
He tried to enter the temple, and when he did, a new priest, Azariah, with 80 other priests, tried to stop him. Again, 2 Chronicles 26, Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, even though you're king, to burn incense to the Lord. But for the priests, the sons of Aaron, that's the instructions of the Lord who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you've done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord. But the king wouldn't listen. Uzziah instead became angry. He was furious. How dare these priests to try to stop the king? But God's the judge. And he judges impartially. And he instantaneously afflicted Uzziah with leprosy. It was a death sentence in those days. His reign as king was over. Again, 2 Chronicles 26. King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, lived in a separate house. For he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And his son Jotham was over the king's household. And he governed in his place. King Uzziah died a leper. And we'll see that in that same year, Isaiah had a vision of the Holy One of Israel. And that's who Peter is telling us about in 1 Peter 1. We so often think somehow God changed when we get to the New Testament. It's not true. And our, our text is unashamedly practical. It's a call. It's a gracious call in the context of the gospel to fear the Lord, to obey His Word, and to live a holy life. We are children of obedience. And as a result, this is exactly what we desire. And so it's a gift to be able to look at this chapter in detail, at this life that flows from this great salvation. Verse 13 Therefore, be holy in all your conduct. Verse 15. Like so many New Testament exhortations to holiness, it's always in this context of salvation, of truth about what God has done in our lives. And from that context, then we're exhorted to live a holy life. Therefore, Peter says, because God has caused you to be born again, be sober-minded. Set your hope on God and His grace. Don't be conformed to this world, to your former passions. Be holy in your conduct. Conduct yourselves with the fear of the Lord. This is the kind of life that the New Testament expects in the life of someone that God has caused to be born again. So, if you've been saved, Peter says to you this morning. More importantly, God says to you this morning. Number one, you've been called by God and He is holy. You've been called by God and He is holy. Verse 14 says, as obedient children or as children of obedience. That's who you are if God has caused you to be born again. You are a child of God. You are children of obedience. 
The point is, is that this call to holiness is grounded in, is based in who you are because of God's work in your life. Verse 15, he who called you is holy. It's a reminder that it's God that's done the work in us. He's the one that has initiated everything. You are effectually called by the Spirit. You hear the gospel, but it is God's work in your heart. That's been Peter's emphasis throughout this chapter. He's the one that caused you to be born again. He's the author of this great salvation. He is the one that called you in a way that changed you. He's the one that brought you into fellowship with Him, the Holy One. Peter's going to refer to this calling repeatedly throughout this letter. It was a precious truth to Peter. He knew that through the grace of God, we are changed. God called them and He calls us and He brings us into fellowship with Him. He's the model of holiness. This is, this is why throughout the Old Testament, He is called the Holy One of Israel. And, and fellowship with Him awakens a desire to be like Him. And it reveals to us how much we need to change by His grace. He is holy. He is separate from all that is morally impure and evil. He is unchangeable in His holiness. From all eternity He has been holy. He will always be holy. He can't be more holy. He is righteous. He loves what is holy, what is righteous, what is good, what is pure. He hates all that is sinful. God's holiness means that God is set apart. He's above creation. He's unique. He's distinct. He is the one, eternal, all-powerful Creator God. He's the one that caused you to be born again. Peter is drawing our attention to this. And we have to guard these truths because we have a sinful tendency to try to create God in our own image. A few years ago, we had a leaders retreat with our leaders of our church and we went off to a state park to just kind of retreat and be together and build our relationships and learn from Scripture and try to seek to serve the church in a more effective and better way. And as we were out at this state park, we went to a, a spectacular cave in Middle Tennessee. I won't tell you the name. You'll understand later why. It, it was privately owned. And it was quite a tourist attraction, but it was, it was a cool, big, beautiful cave if you like that sort of thing. And I've been on many cave tours, and they all do the same thing. They get you down in the bottom of the cave, and they turn out all the lights. Because they want to make sure you experience total darkness. I don't know why, but they want you to experience total darkness. But, but the owners of this cave, it was privately owned, took an additional step they had, in the midst, they turned out all the lights, and in the midst of that, and some of this was actually quite effective, 
they had a dramatic presentation about the gospel. Apparently, they were believers. And so when you're down in the bottom of this cave and they turn out all the lights, they've got a little light show and a tape that sounds like you might think God would sound, I suppose, and and they're going to preach the gospel to you. Once the lights are off, the first thing they do, you know, you hear this voice just quoting from Genesis, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And you can feel it, man, because it's total darkness. It got your attention. Now, I remember thinking, man, this is Cool, and later they went on to tell the gospel story. It was, all, it was good, except for there was this one moment. Darkness is on the face of the deep, and then they're going to talk about God creating man. And the voice says, and God was lonely, so he created man. I had to stand up at that point and say, no, 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 no. God was not lonely. We were the only ones in there. There was no other tourist. It was just our little gang. God didn't create man because he was lonely. That's not the only time I've heard that said, though. People sometimes think God created man because he wanted to hang out with somebody. And that is not true. He didn't create man out of emptiness. He created man out of fullness. He's the supreme, highest, and greatest good that can be imagined. All good is measured by Him. God is holy. Holiness is is not something someone gives to Him. No one gives to God. He's not dependent on anyone. He doesn't acquire holiness over time. His nature, His essence is holy. He's eternally holy. And He is the judge of all the earth. And He always does what is right. Verse 15, He who called you is holy. The one that caused you to be born again is holy. And you become a child of obedience as a result. You are children of obedience. It distinguishes us from those who are not believers. Paul calls them sons, and he means sons and daughters of disobedience. Believers, because of this, we want to be holy. We have a desire to obey the Word of God. We have a new nature. We have a new motivation. We desire to live a holy life. And that's why Peter says, as children of obedience. It's not part of the call to holiness. It's the basis for the call. Because we're children of obedience. Verse 16. You shall be holy. He's quoting the Old Testament. Since it is written, you shall be holy. For I am holy. So Peter's supporting his exhortation to these New Testament believers from sacred Scripture, the Old Testament. It's the first quote from the Old Testament in 1 Peter, but it won't be the last. He will base this letter on God's holy word. 
It is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Remember Uzziah? He died a leper. In the same year, the prophet Isaiah had a vision of the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. So this is the Holy One of Israel. The train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Two He covered His face. Two He covered His feet. Two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinner, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, of sinners, for my eyes, woe to me, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is the Holy One that Peter is telling us about. In the year Uzziah died, Isaiah approached the throne of God and he sees God sitting there. He's terrified and he sees the reality of God's power. Holy, 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 it's the strongest way in the Hebrew language to emphasize something. It's highlighted, it's underlined, it's in bold. Holy, holy, that's what God is saying to us today. R.C. Sproul in his must-read book, The Holiness of God, says the, the Bible never says God is love, love, love. The Bible never says God is mercy, mercy, mercy. But the Bible does say God is holy, holy, holy. It means Israel's God is the most godly of all the gods. There is none to compare to him. And when Isaiah sees him, he has this vision. He pronounces a woe on himself. Old Testament prophets pronounced woes on the people, on the nation, on other nations. Isaiah sees this one who is holy, 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 and he pronounces a woe on himself, and rightfully so. So point number one, you have been called by God, and he is holy. Number two, if you've been saved... If God has caused you to be born again, Peter exhorts you this morning to be holy. Do not be conformed to former worldly passions. Don't be conformed to this world. Be holy. Verse 15, be holy in all your conduct. Because of the grace of God that is yours, therefore be holy. Remember the therefore. Because, God, because of God's grace in your life, therefore be holy. Isn't it easy to get this backwards? How many of us, have, if we've thought about holiness at all, if we've 
if we've known, if we've had an emphasis on holiness preached to us, how easy it is to get this wrong. Tony Carter was in last week, as Stephen said, and we were hanging out, and I asked Tony what his biggest concern was right now for his congregation. It's a good question to ask pastors just to learn, and I asked him, how it was going, and what his pastoral burdens were for his congregation. And he did not hesitate. He said his concern for his congregation was legalism. Losing their grip on the gospel. And the reason he says that is because of our culture. is so self-righteous and judgmental. And he knows we live in this culture that does not get the grace of God. They don't get the gospel. Self-righteousness is rampant, and Tony sees this. He's a wise and discerning pastor. Our world is comfortable judging people, aren't they? And yet they lack any fear of the judge, the true judge, the ultimate judge. They lack the fear of God. And if we as believers aren't vigilant, We'll forget that except for grace, we are all guilty before the Holy, Holy, Holy One, and we will need to pronounce a woe on ourselves. This text is not encouraging legalism, moralism, self-righteousness, is it? In the context, that is not the point. You can talk about living a holy life, you can talk about holy conduct without legalism. Peter is doing that for us. You shall be holy. These words come from the Old Testament. comes from Leviticus. In, the, in God's law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, you shall be holy. It, it occurs in Leviticus when the author's talking about food laws, social duties, spiritual dangers. You shall be holy. It covers all of life. It's an expression of God's will for the children of obedience. Be holy. Verse 17, and... If you call on him as father, who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We are, as Peter has taught us, elect exiles. We're sojourners. We're strangers in this world. We're citizens of another country. It affects how we think about our citizenship in whatever country we're a citizen of. We are elect exiles. And while we are living away from our country, we are to conduct ourselves, according to Peter, with fear. With fear. It's not the dread of someone who is mean, who is cruel, who intends to harm you. It's the kind of respect and all you have for a father that you love because he's so good 
and you fear anything in your life that would displease him. You don't want to do anything that he would not be happy about. That's what Peter is talking about. Because he's been so merciful to us. We call on God as Father because he's our Father united to Christ. We become children of obedience. And we call him Father. And so we, we pray. He calls us to be his children. And we respond by prayer. It's a glorious thing, isn't it? But he's also an impartial judge. He's never father and not judge. He's never judge and not father. He is the moral governor of the world. And he deals with his children as a judge. It's part of his nature. Doesn't mean he's against his children. It does mean he will know the truth about you. He will know the truth about us. He will know you cannot fool him. He is omniscient. And he will judge his children. He doesn't look at outward appearance like human judges. He looks at the heart. It's a scary thing. And we should walk in fear. He is just. Justice is an essential property, a characteristic of God. He's righteous. He hates sin. He's absolutely holy. No one goes unjudged. He evaluates life. In, in that light, Peter says, be holy. Don't be conformed to your former passions. Thirdly, if you've been saved, Peter goes, gets into specific application. Very practical. Set your mind. Prepare for action. Live by faith. Hope in God. Very practical. Verse 14 again, as obedient children, children of obedience, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Believers, children of obedience, they don't conform to the world. Instead, they pursue personal holiness. We've been called to display to the nations what our God is like. What is he like? Well, if you read the Ten Commandments, it's the law of God. They reflect His moral perfection. If you think the Ten Commandments no longer apply, you are wrong. They are an expression of who God is. And we are set apart and consecrated to Him so that the nations will know this is what God is like. Our old pattern of life, their old pattern of life was related to their evil desires they had when they, they lived before Christ in the world. They had different passions, 
Before they were saved, they had sinful cravings. But faith changes all this. We're born again, and now Peter says, do not conform to those former sinful passions. It's the exact same expression Paul uses in Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't adopt a, a, a pattern of life, a scheme of life that's worldly. Don't assimilate to the ways of this world. Have a pattern for your life. That's natural. But make sure your pattern isn't the pattern of your old sinful life. Make sure it's the, the pattern of the new life that God has given you. We uh, talk about masks a lot right now. We're asked to wear masks in our county when you go to stores. I keep masks laying around everywhere because I repeatedly forget my mask. So I don't know how many masks, I'm probably like everybody in here, some of you don't have any masks, but for the, a lot of us, got masks laying everywhere, trying to make sure when I go to the store, because I'm, I'm not going to die on this mountain, I'm not going to jail for not wearing a mask, I'll just wear one. And so I want to have a mask, I, I keep some in the, in the car and, and everywhere, but inevitably I get out and the, ah, don't have a mask. The other day I was driving Sherry, my wife's car, and I remembered I didn't have a mask, and I was like, oh man, i got to turn around and go get a mask or beg for mercy when I get to the store. But she had masks in her car. I thought, oh, okay, I'll wear Sherry's mask. And I, I put her mask on, and it smelled like Sherry. And I just was like one of those cartoon creatures, you know, that just floated away. Like, this is my favorite smell in the whole world. And I forgot while I was in the store, and I just wandered around outside for days, <laughs> stunned. Just like, whoa. I'm using hyperbole. But now when I'm in her car, I purposely don't take my mask because I get to wear her mask. Yes! This is, I'm all about masks. I want these masks for the rest of my life. I have a passion for that girl. I have been married to her for 40 years, and I love everything about her. I love her mask. Oh, golly, I love her mask. You know, the culture I live in doesn't encourage this passion. They don't encourage a passion for your wife of 40 years. They don't make that attractive. You know where that passion has come from? It's come from the grace of God. It's come from the new life in Christ. It's, it's come from the Word of God. The biblical worldview, if you read the Bible, it's like from start to finish. You are encouraged in your passion for your spouse, aren't you? But the world we live in does not encourage that. It discourages it. So Peter recognizes this. He recognizes 
The culture we live in encourages sinful passions. It, it doesn't encourage biblical godly passions. And so he makes it clear, don't be conformed to those former passions. That's where the life of holiness is empowered. It's these passions. They've got to be mastered by the grace of God, or you're going to be, or we're going to be overcome by them. Remember Mark 8. We remember Mark 8. We just studied Mark. We remember that turning point when Peter, the author of this letter, when he confessed who Jesus Christ was. We remember that. It was, it was a cataclysmic moment in the gospel of Mark. Everything changed at that confession. And then Jesus explained in that chapter what it mean, meant to respond to the gospel in faith. What he said was, deny yourself and take up your cross. That's what it means to believe. He fills up this idea of faith and belief with that. Deny yourself and take up your cross. For, for the believer, God has caused you to be born again. There's a new self. Jesus called this the new birth. And now there's a denying self and a denied self. The denied self is a crucified self. And there's, there's a self that has to be counted dead and denied. That's what Peter is talking about in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your old self, of your former ignorance. He's getting very practical. Here's application. One self aims to save its life in this world. It wants to maximize all this world can give it. It loves this world. And that's the self that must be denied and must be crucified. The other self experiences Jesus and his gospel as, as more precious, more value, more satisfying than anything this world can give. And this self experiences Jesus in the gospel as beautiful, as great. He's so valuable you're willing to deny everything else in this world. Whatever must be denied in this life. That's what it means to not be conformed to former passions. He who called you is holy, so you have to be holy in your conduct by the grace of God. It's, this is written for people who God has caused to be born again. This is written for people who are accepted by the Holy One of Israel. This is written for people who have experienced fully this great salvation. Therefore, be holy in all your conduct. And let's conclude by reviewing the gospel. You should take some of this home and every day review the gospel. 
So we're going to end with this exhortation the way Peter ends. We're going we're to end by reviewing the gospel. We're going to preach the gospel to ourselves, okay? Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. They were Gentiles. They lived in darkness. They were without God. They were without hope. But they were ransomed from that, not with perishable things, such as the most valuable perishable things, silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. This is considered one of the greatest redemption passages in all the New Testament. The, the call to be holy is surrounded by the gospel. The call to be holy is a real call to be holy. But it is surrounded with the truth of Jesus Christ. God the Son incarnate. And His sacrifice for you. These, these truths are precious to Peter. He, he is so anxious that his readers not miss this. He just keeps going back. Just keeps going back and encouraging them. You were ransomed. You were redeemed. It's a word they used for ransoming prisoners of war and slaves and, and paying off debts owed and deliverance from dangers. You were ransomed, rescued, redeemed. And, and it was done by the finished work of Jesus Christ. His substitutionary death on behalf of sinners. So that God could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. We come before God not with the righteousness of our own derived from the law. We come with the righteousness that comes by faith. We come by the righteousness that God gives on the basis of faith in what Christ has done. So I believe he loved me and he gave himself for me. He was crucified and died and God raised him from the dead. And this text is filled with references to the resurrection because it means his sacrifice for you and for me was accepted. It satisfied the wrath of God. There is no more punishment for your sin. So if you came this morning battling condemnation, let it in right now. Because your condemnation was poured out on Him. The punishment you deserve and your conscience is letting you know that, but it's wrong. Your conscience needs to be instructed. Needs to recognize, no, yes, you are right. That was wrong. But the condemnation is no longer mine. The wrath of God, the judgment, this one that always judges, 
He's father and judge. He judged me. He judged that sin when Jesus was on the cross. He was my substitute. He died in my place. I believe that. So I'm free from condemnation. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to leave today and go sin. Like I'm confused. Like hey, the more I sin, the more his grace is exalted. That has been a question that has been raised since the time of the Apostle Paul. No, what we want is therefore because he caused us to be born again because of all this grace we want to leave and be holy for his glory we are ransomed our sins are atoned for verse 19 and we are ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot this is written by an eyewitness Peter who lived with Jesus in his human life for three years, and he knows one thing. Not one time did he sin. Not one time. He was sinless. He, he was like those lambs in the Old Testament that had no blemish or spot. That's the one that died for you. And that's why his sacrifice in the wisdom and grace of God was accepted. Because he was sinless. He was like no earthly priest, no earthly mediator. He was sinless perfection. God the Son made manifest, incarnate. He took on flesh. He became a man. Fully God, fully man. And he lived a perfect life and then gave his life for you and me. I believe he loved me and gave himself for me, I believe for many of you in here today that he loved you. He loves you and he gave himself for you. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we, ask, we offer you the gospel. We're going to return to singing now. We want to pray that God the Holy Spirit would give you the gift of faith and cause you to be born again this morning. So, Lord, we humble ourselves before your word today. Make us a holy people, Lord. Don't make us a legalistic people. Don't make us a self-righteous, judgmental people, Lord. Make us a holy people. Motivated by the grace of God and this great salvation, Lord, I pray. And, Father, we do pray for anyone here this morning that's with us that is not a believer. We are so glad they are here they are so welcome. And we pray this morning that you would give them the gift of faith and that they would be saved, that they would believe that Jesus loves them and gave himself for them. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.